today we have Jill Samick. She's a corporate coach who works with high-performing individuals to do additional transformational work on things they may need help with. One of the things that's clear from speaking with Jill is she has a strong passion for this work. She's very good at it. And she also offers up some tips for people that may be interested in entering the career of coaching and some things to think about before that. So I'm really excited. We jump right into this where I start asking Jill like Depps and how she's doing this with some of her clients. So let's welcome Jill Samick. Are there spots that in, their, in this transition, in this whole journey, where you kind of go, if I don't get this person here or if I don't get them there, how does this all work? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I have to say that like, there isn't that place of if I have to get them here, if I have to get them there, you know, that puts a lot of pressure and it's really helpful to enter this process with as much openness and without setting these stringent goals or deadlines or guidelines for yourself. And yeah. the more that I can model that for the client, because a lot of folks that I'm working with have sort of a type A personality. They're very goal oriented and they bring this kind of hard charging approach. And there's a lot of self-reflection that's needed in this process. We have to step back and do things very differently than we might be doing it in our regular job. So I tend to bring as much ease as I can to the process so that I'm modeling that for the client. To touch base on the other question you have, you know, I have a super individualized approach to working with people. And I don't have the sort of algorithmic data and metrics. And I find that people are, there's really a difference in terms of, you know, sometimes somebody gets an insight. You know, what we're doing is asking open-ended questions that challenges the way people have been looking at themselves and their work and their world for their lifetime. And really incredible insights come out of just asking people open-ended questions. Yeah. And sometimes just the insight drives a huge behavioral change. And other times people have the insight and it takes longer. It's, it's a little stickier. It's harder to kind of work out the kinks and move past it. So I really bring, you know, as a rule, like come to the work with an ease and an openness and treating each individual as an individual and then sort of begin that journey with them. It's not like I've done this a million times before, so I know exactly where we need to go. It's like I'm working with you and let's see what that work is like with you. It feels like a little special and magical with everybody. There's no recipe or cookbook. It's, it's really different based on each person. It's so interesting you say that because I was talking to a prospective client and we, you know, we went through the, the process of doing the coaching, uh, the, uh, the coaching, uh, the first coaching session. And then he said, is there a curriculum? You know, here's the other thing. A lot of folks really like that approach. And there are some yeah. coaches that are going to work in that way. Yeah. Uh, that's not one of the ways that I work. And, you know, one of the joys of being self-employed and creating something of your own is you really get to find that sort of special sauce. Right. And I really love an organic approach to getting to know somebody and the freedom and flexibility to go whatever way. So I get questions like, is there a curriculum? Are there homework assignments that you do, right? So I don't have set homework assignments for folks. You know, coaching is really about helping clients get where they want to go. So I don't want to burden people with homework assignments that I think they should be doing because I want to really be allowing them to guide us 
where they want to go. And I might recommend readings or articles, or sometimes there are some helpful um, assignments to undertake, but nothing in the way that I work is prescriptive or done in the same way every time. Do you do a lot of corporate coaching for senior level executives? Some of that is they've asked for coaching and then some of it comes with their job. Do you find sometimes there's a resistance? Like if I came to you and I hired you, it'd be me coming to you saying, I'm unhappy or I got to make a change and I need some help. But do you find when someone's assigned to you that there's more of a challenge there, that they're, they're maybe looking to put the minutes in, but maybe not engage or how, how does that work? Yeah, I think a lot of times folks really see it as an opportunity, you know, and there's support there. So it, it all has to do with the style. And, and the way I approach the work with clients is I'm here to support you and help you get what you want. And as long as you're not just um, saying that, you're not paying lip service to that, people feel that. So when you've already, when you've got a resource, you know, sometimes it's really challenging in an internal structure. Who can you trust? Who can you talk to about this? What if I tell this person that I'm not sure about that position? Will that be held against me? Mm. So once you've got a trusted external person, a coach that's outside of the organization, people, clients can really open up. For the most part, they really welcome that. And it's interesting because even people that self-select into the process, can still be really resistant about making some of the changes, right? Because it can be really hard to learn new things about ourselves. Like it's, and people approach that in different ways. You know, some people find it really empowering to understand this idea that our results have everything to do with how we're showing up, right? That it's not, you know, it can sometimes feel like we're a victim in the world. This is happening to me. And when you introduce folks to the concept that like, actually, we get to be in charge of how we think and feel about what's going on around us. Some people feel really empowered by that. And they're excited by that. And some people are a little bit threatened about that. And that's a little bit, maybe harder to take on. So that's why when we talk about sort of like, is there a standard timeline, it has a lot to do with the person you're working with and how open and amenable they are to some of these things and at what point you're reaching them in their journey and in their life. And in my experience, and I do, you know, and this Gallup Strength Finder, you know, I did that a couple years back, like individualization is very high for me. And I noticed that I just tend to sort of treat people as a person and, and are less inclined to sort of look for the meta. I like the micro, you know, I really like getting in there with the person. So yeah. that lens probably colors some of the way I answer the question. That may fly in the face of a lot of these cookbook self-help because if people are really that different, like a process or, or some of the things out there may not be the best things for people. And some are good for some and some are research-based. Some things that are research-based in terms of process. And, you know, I yeah. try to really keep up to date with, with research that's out there about leadership and about habits and right. So that, so that you can offer informed information about what tends to help people. Right. So it's not uh, a free for all per se, you know, and when we talk about 12 step programs, we know that they're very useful for a lot of people. And there's a lot of people that just kind of can't, work with the model, you know, it doesn't work for them. Um, so I think it's, uh, there's a lot of really, there's good resources out there for people and some people are left really cold, cold for them. I think that the, the value of the process is finding what resonates with each individual, what approach, you know, what style, 
And if people get value out of, you know, kind of more uh, curriculum-based activities, terrific. Um, and some of those are really, really valuable. Um, but as a, you know, like I said, kind of working in your own, working, doing your own thing, it's like, I really love working deeply with a client, getting to know them and their hangups and their values and their thoughts and their processes and, and really paying a lot of attention to that. Um, and maybe some of those sort of other resources are also kind of bare, you know, are also included in the work, um, kind of like building the work up. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I have a tendency to be more gray than black or white. This is good and this is bad, right? It's like, this is how I work. And I find that it's really compelling with the clients who are, who are attracted to my work. We tend right. to find the fit, right? So some people might be like, oh, that's not a way that I want to work with somebody. Give me 12 steps I can do. Yeah. And then, um, right? But then they're probably not going to gel with me because I have a more sort of fluid style. Yeah. And I try to break down some of that rigidity because I think an openness to life, to uncertainty, to evolution, to things changing. I mean, what better time than during this pandemic to say, gosh, we really don't have control of what's going on outside. We really don't. And we can feel like we do. And at a time like this, we're really realizing what we don't, what we do have control over. How do we process that? How open are we to making shifts and changing? And, and, and maybe we had a goal when we were 12, but now that we're 35, that goal may not be the one we want to go after anymore. So an ability to evolve and shift and be open to what's happening, uh, I think is incredibly important to um, a healthy sort of happy life. And so I try to model that style with the folks that I work with. And this has become maybe a cliche in the whole mentoring and coaching thing in movies. But there's this, always this point where Karate Kid gets really upset at Mr. Miyagi. He just doesn't get it. And is there conflict in this process? Or is that just something that Hollywood has made up for a dramatic story? The, the student doesn't really understand what the teacher's saying until later in the movie and then it, there's a full appreciation. Is that made up or is that something that happens? No, it's interesting. Some of what you're saying resonated with me and, and, and some of it didn't feel as true in the work that I do. I think that it does take some time. I find that the conflict tends to be more a conflict that the client has with themselves. A lot of, a lot of the work is trying to create self-acceptance and people can be really hard on themselves. And if change isn't happening fast enough or they're not getting where they want to get, they can be very hard on themselves. Yeah. So the conflict, I would actually rather the conflict be between me and the person because the kinder and gentler we are with ourselves, the more room we have to make changes um, in an effective way and feel good about them versus feel badly about them. So in my experience, I don't have a lot of clients getting angry with me, um, but I do feel like folks can get frustrated with themselves um, and sometimes, you know, ideas that are long held are hard to break. And so uh, people can, um, like I said, some faster, some takes a little bit more time, but there is conflict in the process. There is a reason that everyone does what they do. When I'm working with a client, they go, this is stupid. I will always say, it is not stupid. There's a reason that you do this and we're gonna find out why. And if we call it stupid, we're being dismissive. We're making ourselves feel badly because being told that we do something stupid never feels good, especially when we do it to ourselves. And there's no room to explore it. 
So I will always make a correction on that. I'll say it's not. I know that it's not because I've been doing this long enough to know that there's a very good reason why you're doing this thing you're doing it. And until we know what that is, it's going to be harder to, to stop because there's a trade-off. We can be very attached to behaviors and we might get things out of those behaviors that aren't necessarily clear to us until we stop and look a couple layers below. I've read some books where they say, you know what, if you think you're going to just wake up one day and change all these things and, and move forward with new habits, that's not going to happen. Oftentimes you have to lean in and start these habits and then your, your body actually leads your mind. How do, how, do you, how do you see some of this taking place? Is You can't bank on the, the short-term inspirational thing because that's very... Uh, it comes and goes, right? Your motivation is a very unreliable thing. And if you have yeah. to rely on, if you have to rely on motivation to go to the gym, you'll never go to the gym because it, it may never, it, or you'll go very freak, infrequently because it'll be only times when you feel motivated rather than um, you're just having your body get up and go. And yeah. uh, like, you'll never really feel like practicing that musical instrument or doing all those things. So how much of it is getting your mind out of the way I think there is some, you know, sometimes we don't want to be in that uncomfortable place. There's behaviors and then there's beliefs, right? So something like going to the gym, very difficult, but it's about the activity of going to the gym. We're talking about foundational ways that we've seen ourselves in the world. It's, it's a little bit different than just a behavior. It's sort of this underlying foundation, right? Yeah. And doing something different than that, than that belief has told us to do, is incredibly challenging. So if your whole life has been based on being a people pleaser, and that comes from somewhere, right? You need to get the yeah. approval of everybody. And that might be to the detriment of you. It might be to the detriment of your career. You might understand that. It is deeply uncomfortable to do the thing that doesn't please someone that might be serving you better. So we have to sell this idea of like, how about, how about spending some time in that uncomfortable place? Sometimes being in a place of discomfort is telling us that we're doing the right thing. Yeah. So it's like, okay, how do we talk about what's going on? Why is it going on? Is it getting in the way of what you want? Now, how do you, if you wait until it's comfortable and easy, you're never going to do it. Right. right. So there's a, like yeah. a little bit, as you were talking about the gym, like there's some discomfort, there comes a time that generally speaking, that people that stick to that habit then kind of come to enjoy it. They want to go and now they are, it's a part of their lifestyle. They, they wouldn't want to be without it, but that's yeah. not how it started. Right. So there had to be sort of fighting ourselves to get there. And how willing are we to do that? How willing are we to step into that place of discomfort and kind of will ourselves? Because the discomfort tends not to go away because we want it to. Yeah. The, the, the whole discomfort thing is a, a, a really interesting topic. Do you give people a heads up as you start to embark on these journeys with people that there's going to be an uncomfortable spot coming? Or do you give them a heads up on that? Or <laughs> Not generally like, oh, this is coming in 20 minutes. Be ready. Or yeah. three weeks from now, I really got something for you. They, yeah, the, the, the fourth session is going to get very uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't do that because I don't know when that's going to happen. And honestly, yeah. that's part of that individualized approach. Sometimes I'm working with a client and something really lands in a way that really affects them that I wouldn't have necessarily have predicted. 
so, and there's something very important in that. So I will, I think preparation is important. So I yeah. do like to let people know, like, you know, people say, how do you like to work? You know, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different coaches. There's a lot of different ways to go about this. The work that I really like to do and do is sort of transformational work. It's not like, oh, you need a new job. I helped you get a new job. We're all set, right? It's like really helping people figure out what they want and what they've been held back from by themselves. And that's challenging those underlying beliefs. And that's always uncomfortable because they come from somewhere and we've had them our whole lives and it's disorienting. We yeah. have, even though we're not looking, we don't look at the foundation. It's kind of like you don't look at the foundation of your house. It's just there. You know, you yeah. look inside, you fix up the room, you, you know, you do the deck. You don't look at the foundation. The foundation is taken for granted. And that's a little bit what it's like for us and our own sort of values and ideas and beliefs. And so when we start to mess around with the foundation, when we go like, hey, what, why do you think you can't do this? Why do you think you'll fail at this? Why are you so afraid to fail? Why do you feel like people don't respect, you know, these kind of ideas, we get some, we get some information. And moving those pieces around can feel disorienting because even though you may not be getting what you want in your life with the foundation that you have, you know it. Yeah. It's familiar. And our brains like familiar. They do. Safe yeah. and familiar feel synonymous, right? So your brain just wants everything to kind of stay the same. So you don't get eaten by a lion and everything's fine. But that process is sometimes sort of working against transforming and evolving in ways that we may want to. No, you just said something really interesting. Is it, is it the, is it our reptilian mind that is that some of these things that we do the anxiety that sometimes we have that is it because we are here because our ancestors were extremely paranoid <laughs> and uh <laughs> and you know uh the, the ones that kind of were a little clueless back then didn't don't exist and so our we have dissented from people that were maybe hyper aware and now that we don't have to be hyper aware we tend to have that in place, you know, like we have that anxiety where it's maybe, you know, like we have that lit up in our brain, maybe more than it really should be given, um, you know, there, there are no lions. You know? Well, I mean, that, yeah, for most of us, right, there aren't. And it's true. Like if you actually look on an MRI machine, like the places in, in our brain that light up when we're experiencing physical pain, the same places right up, light up when we're feeling sort of social, socially ostracized. So our, the processes in our brain feel very similar when we're in physical danger or when, and there's a reason for that. I mean, human beings are not self-sufficient when they're born. We need to have people that take care of us. So we needed to be kind of in groups in order to stay alive in the early days, right? So being a part of the tribe is essential to our survival. So our brain's job is really to keep us safe, right? So you know, what happens is when we get activated in these ways that feel threatening, that are psychologically threatening, they produce the same feelings in our bodies as if a bus were like heading towards us, except yeah. we're not going to die if we're not invited to the lunch table or to the meeting, right? But our body is actually having, and that it's such an unhealthy state. It is a necessary state when we're in physical danger for those other parts of our brain to kick in and get us to safety and pump that blood and get us out of the way, right? We don't, we can't stop and wonder 
you know, and, and pontificate, right? We need that kind of controlled response that's outside of our consciousness. But yeah. that goes on for us all the time. And so there is something really important because that's why people talk so much about conscious breathing and breathing. Because when we take long, slow, deliberate breaths, that's a signal to our parasympathetic nervous system that you're okay. Because you wouldn't physically be able to do that if you were going to be eaten by a lion. Wouldn't be possible, right? Okay. So, so you're signaling, oh, I'm okay. Once we do that, then our body can start to calm down. Then we can engage our mind and say, am I in trouble? No, I'm safe. Do I think this thing that was going to kill me like I'm not invited to the meeting? Is it going to kill me? Is there another way to look at this? And we can gain some agency and control over our brain just reacting in this way. And then we're kind of a victim of it versus yeah. sort of, but we have to find that moment. We have to find that space between the stimulus and the response, the external stimulus and the response that we take. And in that moment, there's a beautiful quote by Viktor Frankl who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, which is very much this. A great it's, book. It's in this space, you know, between stimulus and response, you know, there, it's that space between that is your freedom and your power. And it's really compelling and it feels impossible when you haven't practiced this, but we know that this is possible. We just have to kind of kick in and realize what's going on and take that breath. That is a really physical way we can kind of calm our bodies down and then engage the cognition, you know, the prefrontal cortex part of our brain that gets shut down when that other part's activated. We can kind of step away from that because we're not in physical danger and we're not going to die, but our body doesn't quite know that. I'm going to pivot on something. I want to ask you this question. There used to be rituals for both men and women becoming adults, right? Whether it's like a circumcision ritual for an adult and a, a man in a trap, so maybe something similar for a woman. And there were always rituals that help us manage through dramatic transitions. And it's almost like the tribe got together and said, hey, this is a really difficult thing to go through and nurtured them through those traditions. I'm wondering if you're kind of helping fill a gap there in that there isn't a tradition, there is no ritual for when someone loses their job now or now has to work from home. There used to be in earlier times, there were formal rituals to help people through certain processes. Some of those steps have gone away. I used to go to retirement parties. They don't have, yeah. like it's, and they were funded by the companies. Yeah. And, and yeah it was, I remember and, them. <laughs> yeah, it was two things. It was congratulating this person for retiring and, and starting off on a new venture. There's also thanking them for all their work, but it was also yeah. bringing everyone together saying, hey, we hope to be this person one day, right? We yeah. hope to have this in our life. Those have gone away. And I just wonder, do you think you might be filling a gap where rituals used to help people through these processes? Maybe there was a person in the tribe that was a mentor when people had problems. The whole life coach, career coach, less so career coach, for some reason, that seems to have a much more serious name to it. But if you say you have a life coach, you know, there might be like some eye rolling. I'm wondering if that role used to be out there in either a ritual or a person within the tribe and, and we just kind of phase them out 
as we move from like uh, agricultural to a. I mean, I think it, it would be ideal to have them in concert, like community. Community is so important. And I think yeah. that technology has moved us away from community in a lot of ways. And I don't think that's helpful. And I don't, ha having, um, having a guide or a mentor or a coach doesn't necessarily replace that. I mean, that would be nice to have them in concert. Some of what I feel I can do, you know, we are tribal in nature and coming together. And I always encourage folks to have support and a lot of people hold themselves back you know we were talking earlier about this idea of being assigned a coach versus choosing a coach and this idea that oh you're outside I can talk to you you're safe because you're outside there's a lot of people that have trust issues and so they they don't share even with the people that they're closest to and that's a very isolating experience in life there's also what you're talking about which are sort of these times of transition and rituals are incredibly important we still I mean, they look different, but we certainly have them when people die. And of course, in times of COVID, that's so much more challenging. A lot of these things aren't happening the way they did. And I, I don't think that's helpful for folks. Um, so encouraging, getting social support, being open about what's going on. But one of the things that, you know, the thing that, and I say this not, not as a cynic, but sometimes the external world doesn't deliver what we need. And in a perfect world, it would. And, you know, we could be talking about our boss. We could be talking about our children. We could be talking about our spouse. You know, and we desperately want something from somebody. And sometimes they can give it to us. And sometimes they don't. Or they can't. So sometimes what I'm working with folks on is, like, how do we try to get some of the things we need for ourselves? What do we need to close a chapter if we're not given a beautiful party and everybody comes and gives us this goodbye? So yeah. we could walk away from that moment feeling angry and resentful and carry that with us, which is just a weight, which prevents us from showing up in our life in the, maybe the way that we'd want to. Right. And so sometimes when we can't get the thing we need because we're in a pandemic or because we're in, not in an agricultural, like whatever that is, how do we try to figure out what do I need to move forward to either let go of some kind of bitterness or resentment or to ask for something? That's another really important thing in this culture. It can be really hard for people to ask for help. When I'm dealing with folks that are in career transitions, I don't want to ask for help. Well, that's a very counterproductive strategy to getting a job. Yeah. And there are people who've been incredibly helpful to others. It will not tell other people that they, and people want to support people who've been helpful to them, right. but they've held on to, I can't ask for help. So these are the kinds of things that might come up. Well, why is it you can't, what does it mean to you? And then if you can enable somebody to go ask for help, then they can maybe get some of what they need. So I don't necessarily see, you know, coaching or, or which coaching and mentorship are very different, but if we're going to kind of lump them, you know, if I don't see that as a replacement uh, but it could be these kinds of outlets can help us cope with things maybe not going the way we need and help us get some other tools because yeah. ideally we've got a strong community around us that honors our transitions and supports us. That's one of the things that just leads to good mental health outcomes and makes us feel, you know, content and safe in the world. But that's not everybody's experience. We don't all get that. No, 
you don't. If you were to provide some basic steps, is it breathing? Is it, because I know we have what, like between 40 and 80,000 thoughts a day and they're mostly the same thought. Like some of them aren't that, oh, I could most be better. Most of them. Yeah, most of them are pretty self-critical. Maybe meditating turns that, off, that sound off for 20 minutes a day or, or makes you aware when it does come up. Like, are there things from, a, I want to get from here to there, and I, I know everyone's different, but are there some things that kind of set you, you can kind of say, these are helpful tools or steps to think about. Can't afford a coach. I don't have a corporate job that allows me to have a coach. Yeah. I mean, and you kind of hit on, I mean, so in, in this case, it's a really easy question. It, it, this doesn't make me feel like, oh, it's really individual. Like it is very simple, but very hard to execute. So it is that it is that it's exactly what Viktor Frankl talks about. It's that space between. So here's what I tell people. Something happens that makes us feel a certain way. We might get angry. We might get upset. We generally just are kind of a victim to that. We just feel that feeling and we react. When we can learn to feel it, where is this happening in my body? Oh my gosh, my head feels like it's going to explode off my neck, right? Or I've got a tension headache or I'm sick to my stomach. And we make that connection between what's going on in our body and go, oh, that's what happens when I'm angry. And then we can kind of slow down and try to figure out what's going on. So it's, it's, it's the breath, it's the awareness. And that's why people talk about mindfulness. It's not a woo-woo concept. This is the thing that gives us control over our behavior. Because a lot of the time, we're not in control of our behavior. So our emotions are really important because they're giving us data. It's saying this isn't working. Okay, why is this person making me mad? Why am I, why am I so angry? Looking at that is important, but we often just react, have something happen that maybe was not an optimal outcome. So if we're looking for kind of the sort of recipe special sauce to like gaining sort of more control of the outcomes we have, it's tuning into our body when we start to feel that emotion, kind of breathing through that, and then trying to get conscious and aware of what's created it and what am I going to do about it? Am I going to just lash out and scream and then feel awful later and, you know, create some kind of conflict? Or am I going to make a deliberate choice of how I want to show up and use the emotion as data to say, wow, this isn't making me happy. What am I going to do about that, right? Are you choosing the reaction or are you just reacting? And that just really comes from slowing ourselves down, catching ourselves, paying attention to what our emotions mean just as, versus just reacting to them. Yeah, you got to catch it in that spot. And you have to catch it in that spot. And it's like anything. People say, you know, like, you have, have you ever, I can't do that. Have you ever tried? Like a lot of times when I'm talking to people about these concepts, it's not like they've been trying this for years and they've failed. They just haven't tried. It's, and yeah, it takes a little bit of, and sometimes it's faster than others, you know, and sometimes something is so triggering that we're going to miss it, right? We're going to react out of anger. And what we want to do is not create, you know, shame for ourselves and go, you know what? I'm going to have a lot of other chances. There's going to be a lot of other things that happen before I die that make me angry. I'm going to have another chance at this, right? Like, wow, that really got me. And I wasn't able to kind of catch myself in time. Okay. So maybe it wasn't an optimal outcome, right? Maybe you were really unpleasant in a meeting and you know that that doesn't serve your team well. And so, you know, what do you, how do you clean that up? If you want to clean that up, 
And then you're going to have another chance to practice this. How often do you suggest people maybe get outside of the air-conditioned office into nature? Is that, is that something you uh, prescribe at all? Um, is, you know, do you find that's helpful or is that something that you really don't go into? Um, no, I mean, I, research shows that's helpful. We know that's helpful. So yeah. I definitely encourage people. We also know that like our brain is stimulated in sort of novel places. So getting out of, you know, one place and move, movement we know is helpful. There's, you know, there's a lot of tactics that, you know, people will say, I get busy, I forget, you know, there's a lot of reasons not to do these things, but yeah. moving, getting good sleep, eating healthy diet, being out in nature, like these are things that actually allow us to be more effective in our personal and our professional relationships. These aren't really nice to have. Like, yes, we operate on coffee and no sleep, but we're not operating optimally. And it's much harder to do these mindful practices that I'm talking about when we haven't given our body what it needs, right? We're much more reactive and all that stress and anxiety is really unhealthy for us. And, you know, so uh, yeah, that's a really healthy thing to get out in nature and, you know, sort of see some trees, you know, and breathe some fresh air and move our bodies. Yeah, I think the Japanese, uh, I'm going to get it a little wrong, but... I think when they translate walking in the woods, the closest translation that we have for that word is spa. Oh, goodness. Is, yeah. That's so depressing. Therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's always interesting when you read how different languages and different cultures have words that we don't have. And what does that mean? And language is so essential. And it can normalize things and help us understand concepts. And so when we have to string 14 words together to explain something that another culture has one word for, it's challenge and it's hard for us to sort of, you know, come together around it. So I'm always really fascinated by, by those, you know, those concepts where cultures have words for things that we don't. Used to the I was just reading a book that I found really fascinating. There were a bunch of examples, but I'm terrible at remembering stuff like that. Plus, I wouldn't be able to pronounce the words in, in the other languages anyway. But it is, I find that really interesting. And, and language is important. That's one of the things I pay a lot of attention to when I'm working with clients. Because they'll say something. They'll go, well, I don't really mean that. It's like, you did, like, yes, you have just revealed something really important. And yeah, you could clean it up and make it sound different or maybe a way that feels better for you, but then we're not paying attention to the data, the words you use, like I'm such a dummy. Well, I didn't mean that. You just called yourself a dummy. So, so there's a part of you that thinks you're a dummy and that's not, that part's not helping us here. So language is something that I, I'm very attuned to when I work with clients. Because it is what they're saying inside. Of course yeah. it is. And it yeah. has, and you know, and so it, it's important or people will stop. And I'll be like, I would like you to continue with like, right. You can see that it just got edited out. And I'm like, there's no redactions here. We need yeah. to get it out here on the table. Like what is going on? We can't, that's the piece about being aware of it. Right. There's a yeah. big difference. I was working with the client once who we were talking about an issue and, 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 and she said this thing and she goes, and I was like, wow, that's really, how about that? And she goes, I've known that forever. I've just never said it out loud. I'm like, okay, well, it feels important to me that we've just gone from you knowing it forever, but you've said it out loud for the first time. Yeah. There's some movement there, right? Yeah. So that's a good thing. That's progress. And we should sort of mark that. That's a milestone, right? But you're allowing something to be more conscious 
and that's when we can try to challenge it or change it if we want to. I've talked to a couple coaches where they said just acknowledging where people are in their current state. Do you find sometimes the story that people tell themselves about their life is off? Like, I, like for example, I have some friends that I think tell a story about how they got where they are, but I know their lives pretty well. And their, their family wasn't dysfunctional and, and they weren't upper income. And you know, it's like, it, it, it's kind of this story that they've kind of told themselves as to why they are the way they are. And it's not even, I don't even think it's historically accurate to the, is an accurate story. Do you find that sometimes where people kind of say, I'm here because of this? And, and it's kind of a made up story almost, or? Well, I mean, the answer to your question is yes, almost always. And we, we are human beings and we need to make meaning and stories are the way that we do that. Narrative is incredibly important and it can either serve us really well or it can hold us back. And it's impossible to see the story of our lives completely accurately from the seat that we have in the house. Yeah. Uh, so there is some, and that is where we sort of have to sort of step out of that. We have to become really clear on what the story is the foundation. When I was talking before about the foundation, yeah. the story is the foundation. We have this foundation. This is who I am. This is what I do. And a lot of times when I'm working with clients, it's like certain things are not identity, they're behaviors. So identity is really hard to change. This is my identity, right? This is who I am. Sometimes we adopt things as our identity that are behaviors that are not serving us at all. So let's shift the language. Let's make, you know, we can choose if we want to continue those behaviors or not. Um, but some things can't be changed, you know, right? Like there's some sort of like the laws of nature and science that like we are what we are. And then yeah. other things, they're behaviors. But the story is incredibly important. And that's what I'm listening for you know, when I'm meeting with clients, what's the story that you have about yourself and the world and others and your place in it? How is that serving you? Is that accurate? So many times when people will verbalize something from the foundation, from their story, they'll go, well, that doesn't make any, I don't say a word. And they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's like thinking, but this is, you've lived your whole life believing that this is a thing. So yeah. now that you're saying it out loud, yeah, that doesn't mean we're free of it. It just means like it's that first step of like, huh, I believe this thing that doesn't make sense, that doesn't have any bearing in the world, that has no evidence to support it, and oftentimes has evidence to the contrary, right? Yeah. I fail at everything. Really? What are some things you haven't failed? You know, it's, it's very powerful, you know, to really to help make that narrative uh, more conscious and then to kind of poke around and look at it analytically and say, What's working in this story? What's true? What isn't? What do I want to keep? What do I want to change? And that's, that's how transformation, you know, that's kind of the beginning of transformation. And that's not always an easy process, which is what I tell people. Yeah, it can be. I don't yeah. say the fourth, the fourth session, I'm really going to get you. But I do say, this is hard work. This is going to challenge some things. And I, you know, it was a, a post that I recently put up on social media. Like one of the things that I, I love, one of the many things that I love about the work that I do is I get to work with really, really brave people. People who are saying, you know what, I am not where I want to be and I've got the courage to say it and do something about it. And I love that. My mother says when I was like four, like four years old, I don't remember this at all, but I would say, 
if you're going to do it, do it. And if you're not going to do it, don't do it. <laughs> I think it's kind of a strange thing for a four-year-old to say. Um, and yet it feels a bit foundational for me. Like I, you know, I love this idea of like, you know, I'm not where I want to be and I want to do something about it. And the privilege of helping somebody along that journey is so exciting, you know, and then it's just, it's, it's, I find it really the most rewarding work there is. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely from talking to you and talking to other people that are good at this, it, it is somewhat a gift. Speak as if it's a very intuitive thing for you that if this is not, you're not the drill sergeant at the Marines taking like these <laughs> like green uh, civilians and making them soldiers. And it's the same eight week boot camp. This is very different stuff. And you're kind of actively listening and picking up on things that are, are key. It's not something everyone can no, do. No, but you know what? The, the thing is, and this is, this is for every, there are certain things that come to all of us. There are things that come so naturally to us that they don't feel like they're difficult or they're hard or they don't even feel like skills. And a lot of times when I'm working with clients, it's helping them see the gifts that they have because they think, well, that's not a thing. It's like, oh my goodness, yes, that's a thing that other people can't do, that other people don't do naturally. And that's when we know we're in that sweet spot, when we're doing work that we're so good at that we don't feel like we're doing work, right? And we all have that place, but how, because we don't necessarily experience that as valuable because it it comes naturally now with practice like everything right like when you talk about elite athletes and musicians yes there's there's a lot that goes behind the skill right but there is just a natural orientation and we all have a particular skill set and the that's one of the things I help folks with their career transitions like taking those things that they undervalue or think this isn't important and like matching who I am and what I'm good at and what I enjoy with the market, because there's a market for that, right? But helping people understand their sweet spot and value it because it's valuable. In the hero's journey, I almost think, you know, we, I sent you a thing on the steps and it's almost like that's the, that's the reward out of this process that someone finds maybe what they're an undiscovered skill or, hey, you know what? I always wanted, I wanted to do this when I was little and I kind of got off track and it, it, it kind of gets them, uh, that's the kind of the reward out of this process, right? That they absolutely, are, yeah. That people are fine, you know. Fine, we're we're all we're all happier and more content when we're operating in a place that we care about. When we're doing something that we're passionate about or we enjoy, and and it 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 pains me to see people feeling trapped and stuck in things that, that are deeply painful and unfulfilling for them where they feel unappreciated. I'm not, you know, I've certainly had those periods in my career, you know, and there are times that, that the burden just like, you just can't see out from under. It's really hard to take on these ideas of empowerment, knowing you can change. There are times that we just feel, we do feel really trapped, even though we're not, you know, and helping somebody see there's a way out, you know, there's a tiny little crack at the end of this like tunnel, like keep coming this way. You know, sometimes I meet people, they're not quite ready. You know, maybe something externally happened that made them go, I need to change, but they weren't really ready to kind of like do the work. But I hope that just, you never know when you're impacting somebody, you know, sometimes people will come back and say, oh, that session that we had months ago, or I saw that post. And, you know, it's like, you just try to put something of value 
out in the world and not be attached to the outcome. So there's going to be clients that don't work with me. There might be somebody who wants a cookbook and I'm not the cookbook maker, right? That's okay. Like I just have to trust that the people that are a good fit for my skill set and my style are going to find me. And I hope that the other people that I come into contact with find some value in the interaction we have. And I may never know about that. And that's okay. Yeah. I've been reading a lot about from a lot of different things. And it is, is the idea of manifesting a day, envisioning what the day is going to be like and taking ownership of it rather than reacting to it. Is that something that's real or do you think that helps or you know what I mean? I, like I do. I know what you mean. And I think that, you know, I, you know, we, we, we've been circling back to this theme of individualization. You know, there's certain clients that I have that, that deeply believe in, in ideas like that. And there's some that would say like that, that's a real turnoff and they don't, they don't operate on that level. That doesn't make any sense to them. Uh, right. So I think that it's important to sort of know your audience and to try to use language and styles that feel like they fit. I mean, here's what I will say. You know, what I, what I said to somebody earlier today, it's like, well, if you're setting the ceiling two inches above the floor, there's not a lot of room there, right? My light sucks. I got a black cloud over me. You know, that's a little bit of the opposite. But, you know, I think there is some, there is a lot of power in hopefulness and expecting good things. Like right. when we think that the whole world is against us, these are not helpful ideas. And right. we are giving energy off. Like, you know, there are people that, uh, you know, some people will just go up and ask for directions and, you know, other people have never had that experience. Nobody's talking, people reading, are you approachable? Are you accessible? Like there's a, we are saying more things with our body language than we're saying with our mouths, you know? So if we think that the world is a terrible place and no one can be trusted, well, there's a way that we're communicating that to others. And there's a, there's repercussions to that, right? So the idea of hopefulness and expecting good things and, and, and imagining that you're going to get the things that you want in a day, I think those are helpful ideas. Uh, you know, if I'm working with somebody that I know really has no appetite for that kind of idea, then I'll kind of couch it in language that, that feels more accessible. You know, what I never want to do is lose somebody from the process. Yeah. Right. Like there are people who are super woo woo and they want to dig in on that stuff. Right. And there are people that are like, you have to be really careful that you don't use words that turn them off. But like if we if we're talking about things in a way that are accessible and that see, that resonate with people, then I would rather be careful about language so that they can get the benefits and turn them off because they're like, I don't get what you're all about. And I, I'm not that kind of person. Sure. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, the, the language. And who's yeah. the person, right? Like, who are you? What are you about? Like, how do you see the world? And how can I be a co-pilot for that journey without like, and that's why I, you know, the cookbook, right? It's like, I don't just, here's the way I talk about this. Like, I really sort of try to tailor, I mean, my, there's things about my style that are like baked in, obviously, but yeah. there's the, some of the tweaks that will help make ideas more accessible or resonate more. That's my job. We, you know, talking in metaphors, sometimes, like I need to try to, you know, I'm, I'm reading all the time and sending things to clients that I think are useful to them because it's like, I'm trying to sort of give them as much sort of foundation to, to get behind these ideas as possible. And, and that's, that's part of my job in this, in this seat that I sit in. I am a lot more open to some of the woo-woo ideas than I ever was before, because I, I take a look at it and go, you know, if you were to 
tell you and I, when we worked back in the corporate world a long time ago, that meditation and mindfulness would be as widespread as it is in the United States and yoga, uh, even deep breathing exercises. This is stuff I don't think maybe 30 years ago, people would have been like, yeah, that's kind of weird. Well, part of the reason is also because there's science behind it. And there wasn't, there's a lot of things we learned. I mean, sleep, uh, you know, the old saying, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like we now under the sleep science is, I don't know, 20, 30 years old. Like this is relatively new. We thought sleep was not important. We are learning things that we didn't know that might've been considered woo-woo that we're now are, are discovering are essential to our health and well-being. So this is, this is when I talk about openness, like, th- like, oh, I thought this, you know, but like, I thought this was, you know, woo-woo. I thought this wasn't for me. Like, oh, but I have some new information. How can we be open to reading and learning new things and changing our perspectives and saying, and maybe it doesn't have to look a way that doesn't feel like us, right? There's a lot of different ways to come about these. And you might, right. you know, meditation is incredibly helpful. And I'll suggest apps to people and they go, oh, that was so not for me, or this I really like, you know, terrific. That's why that's not me saying you go do this, like foundationally sleep, eat healthy, be aware of your thoughts. But the thing that's going to really click for you, it's only, the, it's only, it's only the person who can know what that is, right? And it's just guiding them to help them sort of find what that is. And then bingo, you've got your match. You are actually kind of exploring with them some triggers that work for each person. That's, that's where you're really watching and trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. You're not proposing anything to them. You're really kind of uh, asking them a lot of questions and, and getting a little bit more. What's your ask for them is to be open to the process and to be introspective on, on things? Or- yeah, yeah. In, in the absence of that, we're not going to get anywhere, right? Yeah. And sometimes I will. You know, if, if somebody's really stuck, like I might throw out suggestions. I might throw out suggestions of things that, some, that, that I know other people find helpful, but it's just that. You know, I, for me, it's all a suggestion. You know, sometimes you ask somebody, what really helps you? And they'll immediately answer. And you go, well, are you doing that? And it's like, no, it's like, okay, how come you think you're not doing that? Like some people know, some people don't know. It's, it, you know, you know, the, the, you know, coaching is so bad helping find other people answers, but here's where there's observations that I can make, right? Cause I'm observing language and the energy people bring. And I think that's important to share. That's part yeah. of my job. The other piece is like, if I have something that I think is important and I feel like I'm being withholding by not saying it, then I, you know, then I'm more inclined to say, hey, I've got a few, would you, would you like to hear a few suggestions that might help? You know, if they're yeah. like, no, then I say, okay, right? But otherwise it's, but there, it, you know, if we're, coaching is really about helping people find their own answers. And you know what? That's not what most people in the world do. Most people are trying to tell you what they think. So it's a very different space. You're holding a very different sort of sacred space and saying, this isn't about what I think. You know, I've met with clients where I say, I'm not here to tell you if you should go to graduate school. I mean, I could, people are going to tell you that all day. That's not what I do. And I don't think there's value in that. So if you want to explore this process with me, I'm all in, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. That is probably a lot different than what people are expecting, because I think everyone feels very open to give other people advice, right? <laughs> That's definitely, and we are in a hypercritical, like everyone has a, everyone's, especially with social media, it's, it seems like it's been accelerated. But you and I have talked about, I really have to bite my tongue sometimes when I, with my kids on advice, because I'm like, you know, I really should be asking them a question 
and having them kind of maybe get to some of these things rather than me just saying, yeah. you know, yeah, this is what you should do. Uh, it's, it takes a lot of discipline and there's an incredible amount of power in it. There really is, you know? So, so if somebody really wants that for me, then I'm not the right fit, you know, like, you know, yeah. cause that's not what, that's not what the role is about. And it's, it's a very different process to find your own answers and they're yours. You know, otherwise we're kind of, we've often kind of wearing like disguises because we've taken on other people's ideas, oftentimes our parents or people around us. And, you know, the more we can shed those and really kind of be more authentically who we are and focused on what, what's important to us. And nobody knows that but us. And sometimes we are not so sure of what that looks like. That's where I start the process with some folks is trying to find those answers because they got so hidden along the way, you know? Yeah. If you were to offer, so I am going to ask you for advice now. If you were to, if you were to offer, I know everyone's different, but if you were to offer advice for people getting into either career coaching or, or life coaching, because I think I mentioned this the last time you, I talked to you, I was at a conference and I was at a table and everyone there was a life coach. And I had never, I think it was one of the first times I had ever heard that expression before. And I was sitting at a table and that's all these people did. And I was like, I'm like, oh, I actually don't do that. They, they were kind of. So now it's become a much more mainstream job. I think it's, uh, it's something that's clearly needed in our society, in our cor corporate world. If someone was thinking about and listening to you saying, what she does sounds very interesting and it sounds like something I'd like to get into. What, you know, obviously there's formal training on this, right? And, and education. Yeah. What are the steps to do this? Because it's an awesome responsibility and, you know, there has to be some talent to it also. But what, are, what, what would be your advice is if, if someone's listening to you today and saying, wow, she's got a really cool gig. I think I, I'd love to do something like that. Yeah, I th you know, one of the things I think is always really helpful is to talk to people who do the job, you know, yeah. listen to people, but talk directly and kind of find out what it is. I think there, I think that kind of self-reflection of what about that job sounds interesting to you. Like, you know, what is it that, that resonates with you and what are the things that, you know, I tend to think about things more holistically. So, you know, we want, we think about the function of the job. We might think about whether we want to work for someone else or work for ourselves. How much money do we need to make? Do we want, you know, like, does this fit in? And, and coaching is actually has a, a lot of benefits in terms of its flexibility. And, you know, there, there's a lot of things that really make it um, a career that works pretty well for folks. And, you know, once you've got enough information to really um, feel interested, then it's, it's certainly worth exploring the coaching certification programs that are offered. You know, I, I talk to people plenty of times more from this, like this is like kind of, this is not coaching, but people who are interested, I'll say, let's get on the phone. Let me tell you about my journey. You know, I'll talk to you about why I, why I chose the certification program that I chose that yeah. may or may not be right for you. And uh, the, the one that I chose actually um, the first module, it's a three, it, it, the, the, the organization is called IPEC. They're very well known. Um, they and their ICF accredited, which is the coaching federation. And, and the, uh, they allow you to bring a guest. So you can, you've paid for your course and, you know, you've go through the certification, but you're allowed to bring a person with you um, at no cost for, for a three day, three, 10, they're like 10 hour days, you know? And so, gosh, that's a great way to get a sense of, you know, what that's all about. Now that, yeah. that's one particular program that does that. 
What's the um, rationale there to see if the other person's interested in it or what, what's, or? I, I suspect, right? Oh, okay. You know, that's a really good way to, um, to get somebody else. It, you know, it's like a kind of real trial, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I hadn't spoken with anybody at the program, but if I were going to put my marketing hat on, I'd say, oh, that's probably yeah, why it gives that's... you, you know, you get a real sense and you say, oh, hey, I want to do this too. And now you've got another student. But, you know, in that case, you get a really sort of up close and personal. I think a lot of folks don't really understand what coaching is. A lot of people like to tell other people what they should do. And I times people are attracted. You know, people talk about coaching all the time in corporate, you know, internally, I'm coaching this employee, I'm coaching that employee. And a lot of that is not coaching at all. A lot of that is telling other people what you think they should do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's talking and the other person listening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. so I think sometimes it's like people are, are attracted to the idea without really understanding exactly, you know, kind of wh what it is. And what yeah, it there, is. there are a lot of jobs like that, right? I think teaching like is yeah. like that. Yeah. It, it can get romanticized a little. Teaching is, yeah. you know, what you do is hard and teaching's hard. There's nothing... There's uh, there's no romance around some of these roles. It's very yeah. difficult. And when it's a fit, it's a fit, right? So it's, it's it, you know, I, I, you know, I really like to encourage people to go back to the internal that because we're so quick to want to look outside. You know, what, what's the answers outside? But it's like, what, what appeals to you about this? Why do you think you want to do this work? What, you know, what's most important to you in your career? And what are your values? And so that you're making mindful choices because we, we generally aren't making mindful choices about career. We're just like looking to solve the problem, which is, you know, income or right. So it's helpful to be more deliberate. It is an inside game at the end of the day. Like one of the things Joseph Campbell said in those, all those myths about transformation and, and uh, David and Goliath and uh, Luke Skywalker and all those, it's not, they are doing physical things in the external world. But the thing that is different is they're, they're different inside at the end of the day. They're not. That's uh, it. That's where yeah. it's at. And once you can, once you can recognize that, then you can, you can get to work, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's the kind of work that pays off, you know, every day, you know, because yeah. when you've got more control over the way you see the world and what you want, then life is just going to be more meaningful and fulfilling. And that's, you know, good place to be. Jill, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been really very, very interesting. Where, if, if people can find your writing or where are you on social media? If yeah, you... yeah. So I have a website uh, at jillsamack.com and I have blog posts out there and there's information about the kind of work that I do. And then I also post on LinkedIn. I've, um, you know, I've kept it kind of at, at this place. That's like, those are my main ways of talking about my business. And uh, I'm really, I'm reaching, you know, kind of the right, the right group of folks with those channels. So at some point I might expand, but uh, it's been nice to really be focused, you know, on a couple of channels right now. And that's been feeling really comfortable. And yeah, I have, a, okay. you know, I have a blog section on my website. at Okay. Yeah, I've read those. Those are great. You know, I was Thank you. There. Yeah, those are very. I, I'm working on something right now. I got have to do some refining of it, but uh, there will be something forthcoming in the in the next few weeks. Thank you so much for being a part of this. I think it, this has been really enlightening as to how you uh, approach this, how you help people make a, a transformational change in their life. It's it's not. It was really interesting. It's not it's not a cookbook, and it's very different for every person. I think that's a a big takeaway. Well, I'm so glad to be here. This has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed talking to you. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.